to screw you the podcast where we support cannibalism but only when it is directed at the rich my name is marilek i am the host of this year podcast and i hate people who have copious amounts of money that is just a fact and facts don't care about your feelings sorry for saying that that was very disgusting and gross i will proceed to throw myself off a cliff i have fallen off a cliff i am back now um One thing I've realized about history is that it is very repetitive. Every 10 years, the exact same thing happens and we are all left with little confused Pikachu faces for some reason. And that is because we have all only ever been taught the Spark Notes version of our own country's history and World War II. So it's no surprise that we are shocked by current events, despite history being the equivalent of fashion cycles in more ways than I feel comfortable admitting. So... You know, you think you will never see anybody wearing a color-blocking outfit, Garikavela, again, and then boom, the stock market crashes. Isn't that fun? You know what isn't fun? The content of this year episode. As is the case with all my research episodes, you will be left with a deep burning passion of anger. A deep sense of like, wow. A new world must arise, but this one must fall. You know, that's what I... (laughs) So, I think it goes without saying that most people's understanding of colonialism and its overall implications is very, very limited. I'll be the first to say that I don't understand the true breadth and scope of the impact that colonialism has had on my life in particular and the lives of all colonized peoples in general. Like, it is so hard to comprehend what life must have been like before the whites washed up on our shores. And I feel like as South Africans, which most of you guys are, by the way, the feeling is particularly acute, right? Our experience of colonialism is not similar to that of Nigerians or Ghanaians because whilst they too were colonized, their colonizers did not settle and work to actively eradicate their traditional way of life the way that they did with us. So I feel like our experience of colonialism is more comparable to those of Native Americans and the Aboriginal peoples of Australia. But I'll get to that in like the later portion of this video. Um, Why do I keep, why do I have this tendency of saying video? It's a podcast. Please come correct. But yeah, so uh, back, back to my actual point. I don't think that a lot of us really understand how pervasive colonialism really was and continues to be. Like, maybe I'm just projecting here, right? But the fact that some people feel like we have moved beyond apartheid just lets me know that they don't even think about what was going on in this country before the National Party took over. And also, I realize that I talk about apartheid a lot. I will not apologize for that, though, because not enough people talk about it, in my opinion. Like, I don't... I feel like ever since the dawn of modernity, right? So modernity is like what happened after the white people had their in period of enlightenment so ever since the dawn of modernity we have not known peace (laughs) like that was not the sentence i was trying to make but we have not known life without there being this constant presence of someone uh, of a of a of a state of a people's trying to exploit us for their own benefit like there's never not been a point in time where um, african people people in the global south have not been oppressed by some sort of a uh, uh, figure or authority above them and i know that's the case as well in 
countries in the Western world as well, right? That's obviously the case for working class people, poor people, uh, marginalized people, you know. But I, I obviously cannot speak for people in the Western world. I can only speak uh, from my perspective as a person in the global South, as a person in South Africa. So what I'm trying to get at is that, like, things like apartheid, for example, may have been particularly an, a particularly awful time in South Africa. But what, what came before it? What started in 1652 as and has not stopped since was also bad, right? It's just that what we have now is is an instance wherein we've removed the overt laws that justify this. I swear, guys, every week I talk about apartheid. I just wish that it wasn't such a big deal. You know, the problem with, I feel like the problem with discussions about apartheid is that we never have full conversations about them. Like, we have these peace, peace conversations, so you can never really tackle its impact on people, its impact over, its its, its net impact, because we just talk about it, and someone's like, okay, I think we've talked about it enough, and then, right, maybe one day I should talk about it, you know, I don't, like, like I don't, like, generally, guys, I don't think we, like, it's, I, maybe again, I'm just speaking as a person who's been told so many times to stop talking about apartheid that, like, I'm trying to speak to people who are like, we get it, mommy, like, you can stop telling us that it's a big deal, you say, you say this every, every episode, <laughs> but, yes, but, yeah, in the period before apartheid, I think the reason why we wave it off is that we did not have all of these Western liberals back then. So no one was weaponizing the identities of marginalized people in order to further their own agenda. In the 1600s, it was just, it was no performance. Just destroying everything that is in Western Europe and vibes. And also rights. That's not funny. Why are we laughing? Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry, guys, I was very insensitive. I was going to also make another insensitive joke, but I thought better of it because, you know, I don't want to be too problematic in one sitting. I think one problematic joke is enough per 10 minutes. So I'll stop for now. But um, today I will be talking about how corporations are basically the new colonialism. Because what I feel like happens is is like colonialism doesn't really end. It just recreates itself. And now corporations are now the new formidable vehicle for colonialism and um, it's intense in the present uh, context. As is always the case, I will begin by giving you guys a definition because we must always start off by defining things to limit the scope of our conversation and to make sure that we minimize misunderstanding, right? So the Oxford Dictionary defines colonialism as the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying with it with settlers, and exploiting it economically so i will expand upon this definition by saying that colonialism so this is me saying this right so um i will expand upon this definition by saying that colonialism requires the simultaneous subjugation of the native community in the territory which is being occupied or taken or stolen these are going to be used as synonyms in this context because they are basically amount to the same thing occupation is taking it from someone else and also stealing all the resources that can be found on that piece of land from the native people and sometimes stealing the resources from the land includes stealing the people themselves so that's something to keep in mind and it also um like it's, it, it, it it requires the imposition of the colonial powers institutions culture language etc upon the colonized peoples so colonization cannot take place on actual vacant land you will never right 
the instances where colonizers actually come to empty land are few and far between they are so ridiculously few colonization depends on there being established civilizations which the colonial power can then explode exploit for their own benefit if ever colonizers actually came to new land and there were no people already know there who knew how the land operates where the resources can be found where there's water where there's food what kind of dangers there are in the area then their conquest would never be able to take place uh, to its full capacity i want to say so there it it it, it, it requires a civilization to already be there and for the colonial power to just impose their own things on these people and lastly colonization uh, is hinged on unequal power relations and most importantly particularly for this context right you're gonna see the link between um this and what i like with the new colonialism is that colonial colonization cannot exist without capitalism and the search for capitalist gain so interestingly enough right you'll see that again with the dawn of modernity it's almost worked hand in hand in hand like colonization works hand in hand with capitalism so you will see instances where like the colonial powers are going out to share missionary work right to to share christianity and catholicism but also to engage in trade but this trade was unequal so things like spice trades and stuff and just finding a ways way of empowering a certain empire whether it's the british empire the spanish empire or the portuguese empire which we'll get to in just a bit so okay what is important to take note from the onset of this discussion is that there was pre-colonial trade between europe and africa right and this trade was oftentimes disadvantaged disadvantageous for the africans but even so the african people still maintained some control over their social political and economic lives so when i gave you the definition of colonialism i said that it required the subjugation of the people first and foremost and it required that they their own um indigenous way of life be eradicated and replaced with those of europeans that's what i'm saying imposed right you are forcing it onto people without giving them an option as to whether or not they can accept this this new way of life right so under colonialism, this limited control over internal matters completely disappeared. Right? Colonialism is much more than just trade. It requires, like I just told you, for the Europeans to appropriate um, the social institutions within Africa and use them for their own benefits. Which is why, again, I said that you cannot colonize vacant land. And I guess right now I'm just having an imaginary debate with myself because I just had a thought. Well, like this, there's many instances wherein people will equate, let's say, the Zulu, the expansion of the Zulu nation, the Zulu Empire, during under King Shaka to colonialism, which is freaking stupid. It boils my blood. It turns my blood into the lava, and I want to explode, but I cannot because I do not have. Um, you know what there was supposed to be a joke there but like i don't know what's wrong with me when like i, I started joking and it just doesn't come out funny and then i'm just here like wow maybe women aren't sorry let me just not do <laughs> but like my thing is just um there's a there's a, there's a certain tendency that some people have to try and equate the two with each other and that is false right even if there was conquest and it was not okay the the intentions behind it are very much different and I feel like, like, I want to talk about this more extensively, but I don't like to speak on 
like piece piece thoughts i want to make sure that i have a full thought before i say what i say my piece because i i don't know i realized i just as a side note i realized that i don't like to say something in pieces because like then it can be misconstrued and i just don't want to do that so yes so to quote from um, plateau.stanford.edu one often find it, one of the difficulties in defining colonialism is that it is hard to distinguish it from imperialism frequently the two concepts are treated as synonyms like colonialism imperialism also involves political and economic control over independent territories the etymology of the two terms however provides some clues about how they differ the term colony comes from the word colonus meaning farmer this root reminds us that the practice of colonialism usually involved the transfer of population to a new territory where the arrivals lived as permanent settlers while maintaining political allegiance to their country of origin imperialism on the other hand comes from the latin term imperium meaning to command thus the term imperialism draws attention to the way that one country exercises control over the another whether through settlement sovereignty or independent indirect mechanisms of control so the reason why i decided to um equate the way that corporations operate now with colonialism instead of imperialism is because you find that the businesses themselves pop up inside of these countries it's not as if like there's obviously the headquarters are in like let's say america for example that's where the headquarters are but you will still find the buildings and the corporations like some administrative function taking place in that country in that country the global south like right there which is why i'm saying that it's 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 uh, more equal to a col- colonial power than an imperial power and another reason why i say this is because in the process of uh, establishing a corporation in the country the country the colonial the colonial corporation type thing ends up absorbing um other other like businesses in the country and dominating over them so let's say for instance um examples can i use let's say but the thing is if i use that example i won't be able to talk because there's an example i want to use of right now but it's spoken about i'm going to speak about it a bit later again so i'll just say it because I, I feel like that's the best example so amazon wanted to do make an amazon web transfer thingy right so basically if it had been established one of the disadvantages of this would be I'm going to speak about this more, so I'm not going to speak about that great like right now. But it would be that it would take off the function of Take A Lot and Superbalist. So Take A Lot and Superbalist are South African um, online stores, right? So if Amazon ended up with it being more cheap, with it having faster um, delivery things and everything, it would end up overtaking these like homegrown businesses, right? Which kind of is how a colonial function comes like thing would work so it knows that there's already an established online uh store thing going on in the country so it it's like just infiltrating these existing institutions and replacing it with amazon so i guess that's why i wanted to use that example in particular okay so i know that like this moment of setting the parameters has been going on for a long time i am i promise i'm almost done i just have to give you guys a bit of historical context i like to do historical context a lot because then um you kind of get little stuff 
I don't know, whatever. So we're now going to talk about the history and apparent demise of colonialism and also why colonialism never actually ended. So I could not really, like, I mean, by that I mean definitely, definitively, sorry, ascertain when colonialism first began. Some of the reports I came across say that the first colonial powers were the Phoenicians, the Greeks, the Turks, and the Arabs. These tend to be classed as ancient or medieval colonial powers. I didn't search deeper into this flavor of colonialism because I don't want this episode to be extremely long. And I feel like it goes without saying that such medieval colonial colonization had a huge snowball effect. So I will not say that it did not have any repercussions or that it is not relevant. It is obviously very relevant. So that is mostly because I don't know how again. Hey guys, let me see if 10 minutes have passed so I can say my next problematic. Yes, 10 minutes have passed. So that's mostly because the Europeans did a lot of stealing from Arabs. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not really stealing. They were very much Kimara sometimes did is stealing. But like they were very much influenced by the Arabian people during this time. Uh, and this is me veering off the topic. So I cannot stress enough how much Arabs influenced Europeans. I remember last year that we were briefly taught that Europe is currently structured how it is like literally the borders of europe the way they currently are is because of their interaction with the arabian peoples right like um the impact that the arabs had on technology modernization and advancement in science amongst countless other things simply cannot be understated this other thing in maths that um this other thing that's called the fibonacci sequence and i learned about it in high school i don't remember if it was grade 11 or 12 i think it was grade 12 yeah so i remember that my teacher told me that fibonacci actually got the sequence from indian and arabic mathematicians right and that is a fact i researched it and i found it so in short even the so-called ad- european advancement or discoveries or scientific developments cannot be solely attributed to european excellence as is the most the case with most things and not just with the West, right? Once one super important thing that I have learned. One thing that I've important thing that I've learned is that societies develop by interacting with each other. By interacting with each other, we learn more and share more and become more, right? If we had not interacted with this group of people, we wouldn't have had this experience. Like there's a this the, the the thing I'm saying has an actual term for it. Um, but I forgot what it was because, again, last year. <laughs> but I, I'm happy that I still remember work from last year. Like, as a side note, wow, this is cool. But anyways, so colonial Europe, and I'd even go as far as to say present-day Europe and America and Australia, are unwilling to acknowledge the fact that a lot of their development would not have taken place had they not interacted with other people. That if if they had not interacted with the Arabs, right, that many of the advancement that they have would never have taken place. So in the case of the present-day West, I cannot emphasize enough how much of the development is hinged on the perpetual other development of the global South. There's nothing wrong with interacting with each other, um, learning from each other, and so forth in order to advance the human race. There is nothing inherently wrong with Fibonacci going to India and learning some maths, although there is something wrong about him being credited with the sequence when he got it from Arabian and Indian mathematicians. So just, yeah. The problem, right, overall, is that colonialism is not just sharing ideas. At the same time, colonialism cannot be reduced to just divide and conquer because that limits the true scope of colonialism and its goals and outcomes. 
colonialism is theft it's wiping out it's subjugation it's erasure it's imposition right it's an effort to homogenize so many societies because one group of people feels like their systems are superior to those of others right so that's why we cannot we cannot think of colonization as equal to other world events in in that uh, like their net income like their net income what <laughs> their net impact so this is because as a result of colonialism europe is what it is today because africa and latin america and asia aren't what they could have been okay so guys i just as a side note again like while i'm recording my podcast episodes i'll sometimes listen back at my recordings just to see if i'm making sense and i feel like that last clip was all over the place but i don't know how to articulate it in a way that makes better sense because like like i hope i'm making i hope i'm making sense like i feel like i wish there was like a count to tell you how many times i say i hope i'm making sense per episode because i feel like it's very frequently but my, my 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 point is that like colonization right it requires this thing where you um impose your ideas while erasing those of the other uh the the, the the colonized country as i've been repeating so many times and you can see that the same system can be found with corporations so large-scale colonization began taking place in the 1500s however the first modern western colonial power is actually portugal and its colonial enterprise began in the in 1415 right so although we constantly hear about the british empire and how there was this huge colonial power and that is true obviously right portugal was actually a demonic force guys it had to be purged with holy water the spirit of god and holy oil everything must be poured on portugal because wow it did a lot so not only was portugal the first major colonial power it also had the longest track record like the longest colonial period right and also it was the last country to end its colonialism so the first the longest the last the holy i will say the unholy trinity i guess but i'll get to this in just a bit but so i don't know if there's still maybe some other country doing its colonialism but the reports that i got were that um, portugal was the well i mean israel is still doing a colonialism but i'm saying to on a large scale extent the way that like um, like as in all over the world not just on a specific territory so beginning in the 1400s the portuguese led by um, explorers such as bartolomeu diaz and vasco de gama guys <laughs> you guys know vasco de gama i remember the first time i saw vasco de gama and i was like hey and i don't know why do we call it a vasco de gama guys it's just the white pants guys what is wrong with south africans like it's so funny to me that like when um south africans are introduced to something by a like foreign group of people we just name it after them so we got the russians from and russians first of all we got them from polish people but we got those russians from the polish people so that ah, i'm like a russian and now we got those white pants from I'm, I'm assuming the portuguese so now we call it vasco de gama but clearly we as a people are not very good at naming things which is why we are literally a direction and we have what is it 
four provinces that are also directions like i don't like imagine if south africa like south africans were tasked with naming plants you would just say green thing green thing with a stick green thing that grows purple things like it's just we are literally like it's just saying what you're seeing or like such a weird tangent i'm having here but yeah so basically financed by the great prince henry the navigator the portuguese explored and settled in south america africa and asia but yeah just to kind of repeat what i said earlier on portugal's colonial enterprise began in 1450 when henry the navigator became fascinated with exploration down the coast of africa and commissioned successive voyages and then in 1420 the portuguese discovering the lush and uninhabited uninhabited island of madeira sent colonialists to settle in it so i wanted to check if this region was really uninhabited because Portugal also claimed that Brazil was, Brazil was uninhabited when they colonized it. And obviously that was a lie. <laughs> but it turns out that it, it like Madeira was actually like empty. Which is one of the few instances where colonial powers really settled on a place that was actually factually empty. So, And then in 1446, they claimed ownership of the region of Guinea. And subsequently, they, that became the center of their slave trade on the West African coast. So that was the, the um, outside of Madeira, that was the first country that they colonized. So from there, it was just downhill. It was just, and it goes back to worse. You said it first. What song am I singing? And we both know we ain't got self-control, but I'll always go. What song am I singing? I don't even know. Whatever. So world history from then moving forward would be characterized by constant strife, exploitation, oppression, and so on and so forth. How amazing is it, right? So one thing that I want to tell you guys that literally shocked me is that Portugal gave up its last colony on the 20th of December, 1999. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? So, do you guys want to know? Now that I've told you guys that it had the long... I feel like I I said earlier on that it had the longest period of colonization. Portugal had one or another colony for over 500 years. You had me right. They were involved in the colonial enterprise for more than half a millennium is that not absolutely ridiculous like can you so so along with all of the other awful things that colonialism did colonialism gave birth to something of extreme importance for the purposes of this episode that is corporations finally we have come to the point of the episode (laughs) So I had initially planned on just giving us the default Google definition of corporation, but I stumbled upon an article by a new internationalist. In it, they give the Ambrose B.S.'s Devil's Dictionary, (laughs) that's a a mouthful, (laughs) definition of a corporation. And this definition is actually amazing. It reads as follows. A corporation is an ingenious device for obtaining profit without individual responsibility. So... The Ambrose B.S.'s Devil's Dictionary is a satirical dictionary. I had no idea that those even existed, but that's cool, I guess. So I don't know if, like, um, if 
like what is the intent what is the joke in this uh i don't i don't know but yeah anyway so um i don't know if i'm supposed to find this funny or ironic because i look at it and i took it very seriously because that's kind of what it is i it's i wouldn't call it ingenious i'll just say an evil but <laughs> what i would add on is that um, from these definitions that corporations are headed by people who get rich by not doing anything whilst people who do everything that was a that was i stumbled upon it let's start again corporations are headed by people who get rich by doing nothing Whilst pay people who do everything next to nothing. Let me start again. Let's start again. Start. Corporations are headed by people who get rich by not doing anything whilst pay paying people who do everything next to nothing. This was supposed to be such a cool moment where I like give you guys a mic drop one liner. But I have stumbled upon this sentence so many times now. Um but anyway, the article goes on to say that a corporation is a legal construct, a charter granted by the state to a group of investors to gather private funds for a specific purpose. Before the 17th century, the first corporations were created in Europe as not-for-profit entities to build institutions such as hospitals and universities for the public good. Isn't that funny how that's like the ex- exact opposite of what <laughs> corporations are now. <laughs> but yeah, corporations had constitutions detailing their duties overseen by the government. Again, isn't it funny how they are literally the opposite now? Because the corporations always call for as little regulation by governments as humanely possible. Ooh. So straying outside the provisions of the constitution or duties overseen by the government was punishable by law. I will not repeat my sentence again because I feel like I have put my point across. <laughs> so only in the 17th century did making money become a major focus for corporations. Incidentally, this is also when we had the like spike of colonization taking place all over the world. So their wealth was used to finance European colonial expansion, right? So companies were used by the imperial powers to maintain draconian control of trade resources and territory in asia africa and the americas first in an ignoble ignoble hey english but yeah first in an ignoble line was the east india company set up by british men merchants adventurers and granted the royal charter of queen elizabeth i in 1600 partners combined their personal stock turning it into company stock to create the world's first commercial corporation it shipped out gold and silver to asia in return for spices textiles and luxury goods the east india company expanded into a vast enterprise conquering india with a total monopoly on trade and all the territorial powers of a government at its height it ruled over a fifth of the world's population with a private army of over a quarter million after independence right we're gonna go into uh, the american now because this article was an american article and obviously America is the pinnacle, the center of the universe. So after independence, American corporations like the British companies before them were chartered to perform specific public public functions, such as digging canals and building bridges. <laughs> okay, 
sorry <laughs> you know when you're laughing at your own joke never mind guys their charters lasted between 10 and 40 years often requiring the termination of the cooperation on completion of a specific task setting limits on commercial interest and prohibiting any corporate participation in the political process must i whisper again into the mid this microphone saying isn't it funny how that's the literal opposite of how corporations function now or should i just have joy in life you guys know i don't love having joy so basically i find it very ironic because like um that america is an oligarchy now right wherein your your ability to succeed when running for president for a president is really hinged on who is paying for your marketing campaign so it's also funny how like politics is just marketing um, maybe we shouldn't have to sell a politician the way we are selling food. Maybe we shouldn't have to sell food either. Maybe we shouldn't have a state. Perhaps we should not live lives that are half. Okay, sorry for giving you guys such radical ideas. But my point is just like, um, com- like com- co- co- corporations in like after independence America, post-independence America, were literally had a short period in which they could exist. And they were not allowed to participate in the political process. Now, they are literally the center of politics, right? You have politics, polit- um, corporations sort of uh, making so that people, specific people win in the elections so that they can maintain their own interests by having basically puppets in, not, let me not say puppets, see? By basically having if- officials in government who will make sure that their interests are maintained and taken care for, okay, okay, of, and are uh, prioritized over those of literally everyone else in a specific country. And they even, funnily enough, they even do this in other countries, right? You know, with how America frequently, um, whenever a country tries to do a socialism, they will squash this instant- instantaneously and place a puppet regime in its place so that the corporation, a specific corporation can continue to exploit that country uh, to make as many profits as possible. I was going to say as humanly possible, but such adventures are not humane at all. But back to Big Daddy Britain. Um, it was busy fiercely protecting its own textile industry and forcing the Indian markets to open. In the words of Governor General, General William Bendick, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes now I get what I do when I'm writing down my script. I'll have my own words that I've written down and then I'll copy and paste um, words from articles that I have. And sometimes I copy and paste like words, like you skim read the words and then I paste them. Uh, like if I see that it fits in with the topic. And sometimes I don't read the names of these people properly. So this is why you see a person's surname is Bendig and you're like, how my how how is that a how are you making fun of my name for having multiple clicks while your surname is Bendik? Please guys, let us take ourselves seriously. <laughs> so anyway, Governor General William Bendik said the bones of the cotton weavers are bleaching the plains of India. I don't know what that means, but I think it's supposed to be profound. Conditions under the colonial capitalist led to the rebellion uh, in quotation marks mutiny of eighteen fifty seven. In eighteen fifty eight. Britain retained in the East Indian Company, dissolving its territorial power and making India the responsibility of the British crown. The company continued trading opium with 
to China, which led to the Opium Wars of of the 19th century. I just realized that I sometimes breathe in so deeply. I, I hope that doesn't sound weird to you guys. If it does, I'm sorry. So basically, what had happened here is that, like, um, initially the East India Company was just there in its capacity as a corporation for trading, and then eventually, um, it was reined, uh, and instead of the East India Company controlling India, it was now the British Crown doing that. However, even though it was reined, like it didn't have control over the goings on of India anymore as like a corporation it still continued to trade opium with China so this in turn led to the opium wars and if you guys know anything about the opium wars like it was an awful time for China it was an awful time like me I didn't actually read about the opium wars directly but I did read the poppy wars which is a book by Araf Kuang the book is excellent read the all three of them guys there's so much gore there's so much blood it made me sick in the stomach uh, and i could not stand up uh, <laughs> the joke doesn't even no it's not funny is it funny i don't know but my thing is just it was such a really good book i finished it all three books by the way in one week so anyone who is interested in reading books that will make you feel sad and um, make you want to scoop the intestines out of your stomach and set them on fire then i recommend reading the poppy war trilogy by rf kuang and she recently released a new book and i will read it with a beautiful like in a happy heart because i get now it's, it's reset so i'll be able to read books once more enjoy life uh, you know hot girl winter autumn hot girl hot girl hey ugar maria again this year Corporations as we know them came to being in Britain with an 1844 act allowing them to define their own purpose. The power to control them thus passed from the government to the courts. Ish, you see now, full circle from the executive branch to the judicial branch. <laughs> so in 1855, shareholders were awarded limited liability. Their personal assets were protected from the consequences of their corporate behavior. In 1886, a landmark landmark decision by a U.S. court recognized the corporation as a natural person under law. The 14th Amendment to the Constitution stated that no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property adopted to protect emancipated slaves in the hostile South was used to defend corporation and strike down regulations. Can you freaking believe it? America is a... is a parasite it is a tick you should pull it out and stomp on it and afterwards you should let your dog lick the blood Um. so i don't know if in america they still consider corporations as natural persons but in south africa we refer to corporations as juristic persons so find um this is this is like I've, i've spoken about this in one of the previous episodes i don't remember which one it was but um, if you don't know what it is, I recommend reading every single episode that I have uploaded so you can find out. Um, you can do this. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm actually not joking. I don't want to define juristic persons today. So find law defines a corporation as a legal entity created under state law, usually for the purpose of conducting business. The law treats a corporation as a person that can be sued, as, that can sue or be sued. A corporation is separate from its individual owners or shareholders who own stock in the company. 
what's key here is that the law creates a co- the law treats a corporation as a legal person who has the capacity to act and engage in legal intercourse independently of the people who work in this corporation this is why you can take a corporation to court and not necessarily be taking a specific person who works in that corporation to court and it's also why you can um let's say a corporation uh, goes bankrupt that doesn't mean that the person who people who work in that corporation can be bankrupt or that you can even attach their assets to let's say like to fill in any money that may be owed i don't know if i maybe that there are circumstances where that can happen but as far as i know um you can't really if a business is bankrupt the business is bankrupt that has no maybe you can you lose your own money that was invested in the business but they can't attach extra assets to save the business uh, basically the repercussions of um identifying corporations as legal persons has a lot of repercussions so i didn't really research this part but i'm gonna just you know say what i think and what i know from my current knowledge um because like even though a corporation is a legal person a juristic person with its own you know um capacities and whatnot it is still run by people right Shoprite is not the one making decisions it's the ceo it's the shareholders who make the decisions but even though they are the ones making the decisions, they can't. They won't necessarily be the ones taken to court when Shoprite does something bad to a human being, either like a client or a person who is working lower, like a cashier at Shoprite. So, in one sense, I guess it's good, but in other senses, it absolves individuals from responsibility where they should be given responsibility. Because um, let's say me i own a business called stapler dot stapler stapler we staple and we staple so in stapler stapler we staple and we staple me i made the decision that we are on behalf of stapler staple dot staple we will be stapling all all cats to doors so that was a very vile example but let's just say that I won't necessarily be taken to court for doing that, even though it's me who made the decision and me and the other shareholder said, okay, we agree, I concur, we're going to do that. The one who will be taken to court is stapler staples dot staple, we staple staple. Not me, because I acted in my capacity as a shareholder in staple staples dot staple dot com, right? So you see that staple staple didn't make the decision, it was me. But I won't be taken to court even though my decision resulted in all these cats being stapled to doors. So I hope you get what I'm saying. So it means that even though the decisions being made are made by individuals, they can't necessarily be held accountable for the outcome of a specific decision, which is uh, a very interesting case. And I really find what happened in America very disgusting, right? That in an attempt to liberate all of these enslaved African people was used to deregulate um, one of the most vile things in existence, which is corporations, to absolve them from all sorts of responsibility. Whereas freeing literally, literally, should I use a different, literally human trafficked people, people who were stolen from their own land, is being, is being, this decision to like liberate them, emancipate them, is now being used by corporations to um strike down regulations is that not disgusting does that not tell you exactly how corporations function why they are bad by their like by default they are inherently just bad in nature i don't know like i i don't know
okay so now um now we're going to talk about the free trade right so unchecked and capitalism ran rampant uh, because of the decisions made by the US and the UK. And by the end of the 19th century, railroad tycoons and robber barons were in charge of monopolies and cartels, so much so that the health of capitalism itself was threatened. Massive labor unrest was brewing in the US, antitrust laws to break monopolies were brought in, taxation and tariffs were raised, and state regulations crept in once more. However, one railroad executive, executive observed that regulation was good only in order to impress the popular mind with the idea that a great deal is being done when in reality very little is intended to be done. This was a quote by that um, railroad executive. So, like, like, this is not what they tell you when they speak about. Okay, let me should I go on the side tangent? I I really want to. This is what they when this is what we talk about when you say that capitalism is meant to like it's built to self-destruct continuously because in an effort to create more and more productivity you have a situation wherein um unrest is inevitable so as people um are exploited their labor is being exploited then dissent arises and then people revolt or in the case of mechanization as more and more robots are taking replacing people and doing their work for them then people do no longer have spending power. So businesses do no longer make a profit. And then, again, capitalism collapses. So this is why, again, we should, oh, we should, never, we should never just aim for reform. Because as you can see, right, the, the people, people are... What is the word I want to use? You are placated by these little uh, 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 decisions that corporations make. But they don't actually do anything differently they just give you like um, they just give you a little what is the word i'm looking for they make you feel like a lot is being done more is being done than what is actually being done right and we should always keep in mind the fact that corporations like especially like i told you in case in the case of america which is an oligarchy you have an instance where like they because this the the corporations and the politics of the country are so intertwined you will you will never find an instance where one will challenge the existence the authority of the other they they are they are partners in crime one will never destroy the other they need each other to continue to be perpetuated and that is because right like we said from the beginning corporations helped fund colonialism right without corporations there could not be colonization colonialism right right like it was like a, a basis of it it gave it i don't want to is it what gave yes it gave birth in an effort to expand productivity to expand influence to expand trade at a at a rate which is uh at a rate which is what's the word i want to look for unsustainable colonialism was created and then from there they exploited the what the resources of the colonized the colonized countries like Am I making essence? Or am I making rent? Tell me I'm making rent, please. Because then I got bans. I will see myself out. And now, the labor movement, right? And the depression of the 1930s, World War II, and the creation of a welfare state in Europe, also the return of state intervention. However, Europe, European and US corporations controlled land, military forces, ports and railroads in poorer countries 
Hence, the name Banana Republics given to countries like Guatemala, where United Fruit backed a right-wing coup in 1953. Nevertheless, independence in former Western colonies after World War II led to aggressive protection of their domestic industry in the name of development, as well as restriction on foreign investment. In the U.S., social activism in the 1960s pushed forward demands for environmental and labor standards, as well as some breakups of monopolies. All Overall, between 1950 and 1980, social welfare provision and state intervention to regulate economic activities were widely accepted as economic orthodoxy. However, in came the neoliberal era, which undid whatever good had taken place. But we also must remember that even the state intervention was not expanded across the whole entire world it was just in these western in the western world right to protect the interests of uh, westerners not the world at large and even then when i say westerners i say specific westerners right yeah so in the 1970s milton friedman and his chicago school economists developed ultra free market ideas based on deregulation and privatization that hugged back to the last lice 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 Fair. Me, I don't know how to speak French. I don't know how to speak Baloney. <laughs> okay, Las Fes ca- capitalism of the 19th century, hence the name neoliberalism. This was to become the economic orthodoxy, also orthodoxy of globalization. In the early 1980s, the full political resources of corporate America mobilized to reign control of the political agenda and the court system. Thatcher and Reagan, those demonic forces, using the Chicago school ideas, made the world safe for corporations. They dismantled the social contract through tax cuts, ignoring unemployment, rolling back social welfare, and increasing privatization. The debt crisis of 1982 gave gave the U.S. its chance to dominate the world economy and for the rich nations to re-subordinate the global south through structural adjustment via the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Those gremlins... Those demonic forces, guys, where is the holy water? Has anyone seen it? (laughs) But um, the power of the transnational cooperation is greater than that of many nation states. The most important battles over deregulation take place at the global level with free trade agreements such as NAFTA and those of the World Trade Organization. This is what is the current state of affairs um, from like the 1980s moving forward so the level of mergers and monopolies are reminiscent of the end of the 19th century at this current point in time however now as then social movements and resistance to unrestrained global capitalism are also growing questioning the legitimacy of corporate rule guys do you remember the beginning of this episode when i was talking about how history constantly repeats itself and you were looking at me finally because you thought what is she trying to get at well that's what i'm trying to get at you see me I always have a point, even though I don't even know I'm making a point when I'm making it, I always make it. So what I'm basically saying is that, as you see here from the examples I just said, is that capitalism, it functions repetitively. It's like a cycle. You have an instance where like regulation is, is like at its highest, where the state intervenes to protect people, um, where it's, 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 it, it like uh, re- decreases the rights of corporations and promotes the rights of individuals. But then inevitably there will be an, a case where deregulation is at its height where corporations are allowed to do whatever they want they have huge monopolies they exploit the masses and like the state just allows it to happen 
right? And this happens continuously. The only way of breaking the cycle is by completely eradicating capitalism. There's no alternative. Because <laughs> capitalism will continue to do what it's been doing um, unchecked unless the people actually do something about it. And I feel like right now is a very specific, is a very interesting context because um, I feel like people can reference what has taken place, like the capitalist, the capitalists themselves, and find ways of like dodging some of the outcomes, uh, like like ma- making sure that their power is maintained. But even so, right, the way that I have mentioned so repetitively at this point that corporations have collaborated with par- with governments to such an extent that you cannot separate the two at this point corporations have collaborated with cause to such an extent that you cannot separate the two at this point right um it's just it's the 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 the, the thing that is so interesting is that like you 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 why is this why is that why is that a burpa? I I get so angry. I know, like, I know it sounds like I'm jealous. I don't care. It's just like it's making a noise. Like some people, they get cute little aeroplanes going, you know. As we get a vorpa, it's like monang on the road. Sometimes it's farting. Sometimes it's we. It depends on the day. But yeah, so it's all just so fascinating. So I just thought that I would now talk about the corporations um, that like are relevant in this discussion that I feel like who's who's um whose colonial whose 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 very much colonial characteristics are very prominent and who exist right now. So there's many there's many examples of corporations that did some like were involved in like shady things in the past and aren't as much or aren't very bold about it or who just have not been exposed as yet. But there are some who have who have come come out lately that like they're doing very shady things and i just thought i'd talk about them uh, these examples uh, before we get to like the conclusion of this episode but before i do that i just want to talk about one thing that's just for interesting that i found very interesting and that is the world's oldest company the name of this company is congo gumi right it is a japanese construction company which constructs shrines and temples and it was established in 578 AD. Guys, this this company has been around for over for over 1000 years. Like is that that's in that's so hard to comprehend. Um and I think the the reason why they say it's it's been able to like outlast like uh, it, stand the test of time is because it's a like it builds temples, right? So the the fact that it builds these religious buildings makes so that its function is very important, and it's hard to just um, take it away. And a few a few years back, it it was um, almost liquidated, but some other company ended up absorbing it, and like the Japanese people decided to do that because they're like now it has sentimental value, right? So, but I just I just wanted to tell you guys that um, I don't know if it's unshady things. I feel like they would, if they did shady things, I feel like the government, the Japanese government would do its best to hide that because it's a real, like, you know, it's sentimental value and it's like a big deal that it's been such an old corporation. But yeah. Puma was founded in 1948 in Germany by Rudolf Dassler. 
Um, this was just three years after World War Three ended in Europe and only 19 years before the Israeli occupation of Palestine would begin. Before Puma became Puma, it was Gebrula Dasla Shoe Fabric, which translated means Dasla Brothers Shoe Factory, and a small sports shoe producing company run by Adolf and Rudolf Dassler, who were the two brothers, right? So this initial company started in 1924, and it was one of the only German companies to produce sports shoes. As a result, the factory would become a key supplier to clubs in the Hitler Youth after the takeover of the Nazis. Their shoes were even used as official sports shoes for the German teams during the 1936 Summer Olympics held in Berlin. The brothers would continue to work with the government, leading to both of them joining the Nazi party with a variety of enthusiasm. It was said that Rudolf was a much more adamant supporter of the National Socialism, whereas Adolf remained unsupportive of the regime is not not ironic but this developed this developed into an ideological rift increasing the already growing gap between the two brothers during the war the factory was forcefully converted to produce military equipment for the nazis initially focusing on the panzer shrek a shoulder launch anti-tank tank tank rocket based on the american bazooka hey can bazooka have some american Rudolf would try to convince the high-ups of the Nazi Nazi party to allow him to produce patent army boots, eventually which proved to be fruitless. So the Dassler factory would continue to produce equipment for Wehrmacht until the Allies pushed in and captured their town. You would think that that is where Puma's involvement in the group of people on the objectively wrong side of history would end, but dear listener, you would be very wrong in thinking that. So, Puma has been involved in violations of international law and human rights because Puma is the main sponsor of the Israel Football Association, which includes teams in Israel's illegal settlement on occupied Palestinian land. In addition, Puma's current and past executive licenses in Israel have operations in illegal Israeli settlements. Israel's military occupation expels Palestine's families, including children, from their homes to give way for these settlements. Israeli settlements are considered war crimes under international law. So, me, in this household, we don't debate anything about Palestine. Um, it is occupation, it is apartheid, and it should stop, right? We also boycott Puma. And if you have, like, if you have not bought a laptop yet, right, do not buy an HP laptop. I don't know about any other laptop brand that is like involved in um, promoting the Israeli occupation of Palestine. But HP is the only one I know of as of right now. If you've already bought the laptop, then like you can't throw it away, obviously. So just use it. It's fine. But don't buy HP products, please. Thank you. Now let's talk about Tesla. I remember there was a point in time where I was so excited that Elon Musk is South African. I don't know that girl. She does not exist anymore because I burnt her at the stake. Now I hate Elon Musk with a deep passion. No one should have that much money. Um, anyway, Tesla makes use of child slave labor to mine cobalt. So the Tesla vehicle, and as we all know, it's powered by batteries. Uh, but the the it depends on cobalt, which is a mineral found primarily in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where child labor and unsafe mining conditions are common. Now I want to quote a bit from the Deseret, a Deseret article, where it says, it reads as follows, Our children are dying like dogs. That is a sorrowful statement of one Congolese mother whose son and cousin died while working the cobalt mines in the DRC. 
She and other parents like her are part of a class action lawsuit filed in U.S. federal courts in Washington, D.C. in 2019 seeking to hold Apple um, Alphabet, which is the, car- the parent company of Google, Dell Technologies, also we should bulk at Dell Technologies, Microsoft and Tesla accountable for what they allege is profiting off of the misery of child labor in their quest for cobalt. Um, Cobalt is a key component of every rechargeable lithium-ion battery in all of the gadgets made by defendants and all other tech and electric car companies in the world that has brought on the latest wave of cruel exploitation fueled by greed, corruption and indifference to populations of powerful, starving Congolese people, the suit reads. The companies have argued the cases should be dismissed, asserting that they have no control over the mining practices in a foreign country and that the families lack standing to bring the suit on U.S. soil. Furthermore, they stress they have no direct connection to mining on foreign soil. So, my last research episode, which was on um, Nestle and how it uses slave labor to produce, like, to to get cocoa beans. So, I don't want to talk about this specific, like, lawsuit at great length because I speak about it more extensively in that episode. So, please check that one out because um, I wanna, I don't want to, like, divert from... The contents of this episode i don't want to keep repeating previous points over and over again but it's not my fault that like these people are like history is repetitive as i have said multiple times it's not you know so now let's talk about disney right i feel like disney's colonial nature is not like that of tesla or puma in that it isn't directly really directly linked to the physical exploitation of a specific group of people even so its exploitation is still very real and very pervasive so what Disney does is steal and patent cultures to the exclusion of the cultural group from which it drew inspiration. In recent years, Disney has been a bit better at representing non-white people. So the very examples of these um, good representations are Encanto and Coco. I love both of these movies. Of course, I find it a bit interesting that they were so good at like depicting Latin Americans. Um but when they were making a movie that was based in the african continent first of all they never specify one thing that i hate about western media is that when they do a movie based on like some sort of african person they never they never refer to a specific country like this is something that i think about quite frequently and i feel like i can speak about it in a separate video an episode why do i keep saying video in a separate episode but i find it so weird that they never say a specific country. It's always, wow, we're going to Africa. Then they're there with that disgusting African accent. I hate it with every fiber in my being. And also, like, on my, like, Microsoft. I know that I use Microsoft. I literally cannot avoid it because you need it for school. But, like, on Microsoft, they've changed. When you have, you know, that read out, read out loud function. They changed the read out loud function. So, when you, if, I don't know if you guys can check on your own laptops. And then do English South Africa. So the the people who are speaking now, it's colored people, which I found very cool. Uh, that was a really interesting decision, and I like that a lot. Actually, it's it's kind of nice to hear. But what I'm saying is that just that was really weird tangent. But like on top of that, when it's about Africans, when it's about black people, we are always animals. Why can we never be people? Um, why must we always be ghosts or lions or frogs? Can we never just be people in your movies? Yeah. Okay, but I will not demand representation from Disney. <laughs> I would. I'm actually quite happy with Disney not doing anything about South Africa. I hope it stays that way, because 
I okay, let me not talk about my personal thoughts that to the extent. But yeah, so um of course in the case of Coco, Disney tried to trademark Day of the Dead, which is a decision. But it was not saying that um outside of these good examples of Encanto and Coco, Disney has a history of misrepresentation, misrepresent misrepresenting and flattening the cultures the cultures of numerous countries in the global south. An example of this is the movie Aladdin, right? I watched this other YouTuber called Hakim. Um, I don't know if you can't really research it, but he's an Iraqi person and he speaks about how like the movie Aladdin makes negative sense. So I don't know if I should add it in the description. I'll think about it because like when I think about making the description, because you know what I did? I didn't copy and paste my resources as I was researching. So now I have to copy and paste it directly from the script. And it sounds like so much work. I kind of don't feel like doing it. But I, I, I can't not give credit where it's due. Mm, but uh, I've, why have I been doing so many tangents lately? But it's fine. And now we have gotten to the main reason why I even got the idea to make this episode. Which is Amazon and the Koi and Sun peoples of South Africa. So what basically happened is that another corporation is trying to test us as a country. First Shell, now Amazon. Can we catch a break? please right on the on january 19 amazon faced a major court showdown over the construction of its new headquarters in cape town south africa the indigenous koi and sun peoples environmentalists and other activists were asking the south african high court to interdict the project which sits on ancestral indigenous land and will have detrimental effect on the local environment if plans for the new headquarters go forth the company will also further entrench its neo-colonial dominance and exploitative economic model on the african continent despite lucrative promises of jobs and revenue from the government amazon's expansion will not benefit the african the average south african and will bring more labor exploitation and likely enable more surveillance-based policing of poor and marginalized communities this is why it is crucial that south africans should resist this project so the reason why this like specific case stuck out to me and it made me think about this was that i felt like this was such an overt overt kind of colonial tactic right and i just found it so i just found it so like <laughs> bold face so like dull like in elizabeth it has the lever so i just right um then a bunch of different reasons why like amazon is not good for the for like first of all it's not good for the environment it has um environmental concerns because it would have to um, it, the headquarters, which would have be, would have been built on a floodplain at the confluence of the Black and Lisbeck rivers near Cape Town, and this is a historic a, a historic site of the indigenous people's struggle against colonial powers, and it is also a national heritage. Could be it's in the process of being evaluated for national heritage designation, and part of it is within the border of a precinct slated to be put as on the UNESCO World Heritage List, right. On top of that, it would they would have to in order to build these headquarters, they would have to um fill in the Lisbeck River, which obviously is bad for groundwater recharge recharge when it rains, because there'd be like so much flooding. Because it's a floodplain. Like I don't get why like at least don't be so bold faced about like why not like obviously we don't want Amazon to come here, right? I'll get to why in just a bit. But like why even on a floodplain? Like can you not at least try to like market yourself like 
can you like can you not be like is it just a thing where that i like can, like can you see that i'm not even able to articulate like my shock and like the gum the gumsha so basically yeah outside of the fact that um amazon in trying to fill up the lesbian griever would have a huge um bio in, in repercussions for biodiversity there's also the fact that um, it wants to establish something called the Amazon Web Services Center. And this is a huge dominant service provider and it would probably dominate in South Africa and probably the rest of the continent, right? It it could o- overtake, as I told you earlier on, homegrown e-commerce players like Takealot and Superbalist because this company is known to squeeze sellers who use its marketplace services, taking significant out cut of the profit and favor its own product on its platform, undermining fair competition. Because there's no such thing as for competition in free trade, just as a side note. So, thankfully, right, the Western Cape High Court granted an urgent interdict against developers working for Amazon. So, that's great. So, it means that Amazon won't be allowed to build their thing for at least a little bit, right? Because it's an interdict. But it's worrying because, like, you know, court decisions, you can, Amazon can appeal it. And if they have enough money, like, they could succeed, which is very stressful. <laughs> stressful so that's one thing that i was thinking about and yeah so when i started off this episode i had been thinking of corporations as something independent of colonialism and i feel like that's kind of clear like the the best thing is it the best thing i don't know the best thing and worst thing about writing a script and adding resources and not rereading the work (laughs) is that you learn more as you're reading your own script so i kind of figured and i hope you guys did as well like how much corporations were an integral part of the colonial conquest and how now they do so they continue to do so like in many ways corporations are colonialism when you think about it they come in and they facilitate globalization which i hate globalization as personally i hate globalization i don't um uh, i'm not for efforts to create homogenous uh pop culture homogenous like for music and but it's fine we don't have to talk about that we don't have to talk about that that (laughs) but my point is just that it's so fascinating to me that that we like like that's why i when i started this episode i said that like we don't understand the true breadth and scope of how pervasive colonized colonialism really is and at the time of saying that let's say that's why again i said earlier on that i make points without knowing that i'm making points and i I feel like i'm tweeting my own horn (laughs) but it's okay i feel like sometimes it's good to tweet my own horn um every now and then i must remind myself and other people that i am elio roar sorry sorry i'm sorry for that but it's so interesting how pervasive it is because i could not until having researched and having thought about it and reading my own script i didn't really think of corporations as a form of colonialism i had thought of just colonialism as that process of like destroying cultures and institutions but i didn't really think about how corporations themselves are an effort of doing that are like are a colonial enterprise are a pinnacle uh, component of the conquest and subjugation process and i hope you guys realize that as well 
right i liked recording this episode i'm still at res and here i am speaking very loudly i don't know if it's just i have gallbladder today um or if it's just the fact that some of them are gone now <laughs> i don't know which ones are gone but some of them are gone so all in all i just uh, hope you guys have learned something every time i just i just hope you guys learned something that's kind of all i can hope for at least in terms of the video and otherwise and other than that i hope that in learning something i am hopefully helping you guys to think about what you can do to cause effective and genuine change that goes beyond you alone as a person because it takes multiple people to notice that something is not serving us and that we should do something to stop it and not just sit complacently and just um you know be like wow this sucks anyway or just make those jokes there's something that happens in youtubers i used to watch like now if a youtuber does that i just stop watching them where they will say something and then they'll be like and that's on capitalism sticking out tongue emoji i hate that so much because it's like where where you where like like where you're flattening this thing that could potentially mobilize people to do something to effect change which happens as well with like feminism i don't want to get into that conversation today because we're talking about capitalism too but i capitalism is also tied in with the subjugation of women but my thing is just i hope you see what i'm trying to help you see and that your eyes are open and that you have learned something obviously that's always my hope and my dream and everything <laughs> but yeah <laughs> We have come to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry for the late upload. I I had I don't know if I said this earlier on. I had a really busy week this week, and you know, I have to get a degree. <laughs> Priority. <laughs> so that's why it's a bit late today. Um, I'm recording actually on the day. It's I'm currently recording right now. It's uh seven quarter two three on Saturday. So that's why the episode's going to be a bit late today. But I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you learned something. I hope you have learned something. I'm repeating myself because I don't know what else to say. So um, if you want to hear or see more from um, Screw You, then you can follow Screw You at, on Instagram at S-C-R-U-E-Y-O-U. You should also um, subscribe to the newsletter. It's not really a newsletter. It's just my blog. I haven't started like posting actual blogs for the blog posts for the podcast yet. But I eventually will when I have some more time. time. Um, but uh, that's it from me. Uh, hopefully I'll see you in the next episode. Uh, be sure if you haven't be watched previous episodes. Share the podcast with your friends and your family. Uh, with anyone actually. Um, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Stay safe. Stay fabulous. Bye-bye.